Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Are you ready to hand over to him? Okay. Let's uh, do it so. 20 minutes to one o'clock now and time to hand over uh, to Joe and see what's happening on today's live line. Joe. Well, good afternoon to you, Ron, and absolutely delighted to be talking to you on this uh, day. Matt Cooper's on the line. Matt Cooper. <laughs> Hello, Matt. We've only ever met once before. I never met Matt Cooper once. And how dare you call me a fucking DJ? (laughs) I heard you. You called me a DJ. You're a little bollocks. (laughs) Well, Matt Cooper was not happy with my special guest this week, and he wasn't the only one to phone in to The Joe Duffy Show um, to speak to the great Ronan Collins. We also heard from Louis Walsh, Miriam O'Callaghan, and would you believe even the great Gay Byrne? How that happens is just, it's impossible to figure out. Someone that Ronan worked with for decades in RTE and for whom he had so much respect himself. Um, But Ronan himself is also one of Ireland's, it's fair to say, most loved, respected um, uh, broadcasters. He spent over 43 years in front of the mic and has the distinction of presenting Ireland's longest running and most listened to music radio show, a role that he has only recently retired from. In the chat... You're about to hear Ronan and I talk about music radio and how it has changed, why he's not a fan, and the great radio presenters and producers, Ryan Tuberty's future, and lots, lots more. I don't think it's funny. Mm. I don't think it's a radio, mm. and it certainly isn't music radio, mm. just because they stick in a, a song by Lizzo or Cardi B or Ask Me Arse or whoever it is, mm. you know? <laughs> there's a lot of great music mm. around as well, but there's an awful lot of junk. There's more people have wanted me off that slot than have wanted me on it. Sometimes it was uncomfortable yeah. being being the sore thumb yeah. that stuck That's out. That's what I'm asking you, really. Yeah. Sometimes it, it was a little uncomfortable, but once I went into the studio and closed the door, that was my room. That here we are in April 2023. Isn't it extraordinary how many people dyed their hair grey during the pandemic? <laughs> in all my years in RTE, it was suggested I might play this, that and the other, but I decided what was played. All along, right through my career, whether they liked it or not, they were giving me the gift of authority. Yes. My full chat with Ronan Collins coming up right after we check in with the Mario Rosenstock uh, voicemail hotline. Ronan's a popular guy, so it was a busy one this week. Let's take a listen to a selection of some of the messages coming in. Hi, you've reached the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Please leave a message. Yeah, Mario, uh, Luke O'Neill here, Professor Luke O'Neill, looking forward to the Ronan Collins podcast. Ronan, of course, uh, if, he's, if he's listening, Ronan, if you're listening, I love, uh, I love music. <laughs> As you know, uh, you love music. However, the data here is telling me that, I've, um, that you've never actually played one of my tracks on your show not even uh, as your lockdown loosener upper when it was um, extant, which was disappointing given uh, my epic contribution to the fight against COVID. Anyway, um, maybe you'll change your tack at some stage on, on Radio Gold. Thanks, Ronan. Good luck. <sighs> How are you, Ronan? Ray Darcy here. Well done, well done, well done. You're looking great. You're looking great. You haven't aged in the last 20 years. Now, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, <laughs> but I'm guessing that it's all down to that little chat we had in the canteen 20 years ago to the day. You had your hand on the chocolate muffin and I pointed gently over to the porridge. And you walked over and you got a bowl and that was the beginning. And now I hear you're on the hake every day and the porridge and the running. Well done to you. Not blowing me own trumpet, but it was all me. <laughs> Joke. 
Hi, uh, Mario. Uh, Paul Carrington here. Uh, looking forward to the podcast. Uh, message for Ronan Collins. Uh, Ronan, could you stop uh, ringing me, texting me, messaging me, and sending me videos of your bleeding golf swing, please? I have no further tips to offer. We met once in Paris Court, okay? Just stop stalking me, or I'm going to put out an order against you, okay? I'm calling the cops, okay? Just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> exclusive comedy every week on the Mario Rosenstock podcast and if you want to see me live by the way um, my brand new show Gift Grub Live 23 is on tour all over Ireland at the moment and I arrive in the Olympia Theatre next week the 13th, 14th and 15th of April um, in the Olympia Thursday, Friday and Saturday I think Friday and Saturday are just about sold out Thursday there's still some tickets left and um, thereafter in various different destinations around the country, particularly in June. I'm doing two nights um, in, on Friday and Saturday, June 23rd and 24th in the Cork Opera House and all over the country. See Ticketmaster for details. So let's meet my special guest for this week, Ronan Collins. We were doing a little bit of a setup with the headphones and all that before we got started. So we may as well just join it in there. Potentially lots we can talk about now. Whatever you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, Rona, you can hear yourself there? I can hear myself, yeah. Not very loudly hearing myself. I'm hearing be, as, be as giving as you can now, Ronan. Okay, that's, yeah, that's lovely now, yeah. Do you like that? Um, yeah, that's perfect. Isn't that nice? Yeah. That is nice. I always wear headphones. Eno wears his headphones like this. Yeah. One on, one off. That's from, <laughs> that's from the old days when you listened to the speaker and you were pre-fading the, for, is the that, vinyl 45. Is that it, is it? Yeah. All right. You'd have the vinyl 45, the speaker would be playing in the studio. Are we recording that bit? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I love this. The, yeah, the, the speaker would be playing. Why, why, why a presenter would wear one ear, one off on the headphones? Yeah, well, he'd listen, he'd have the programme on both headphones, but then when he wanted to pre-fade his gramophone <laughs> beside him with the vinyl 45 on it, yeah. uh, the mic would be off so the speakers would be on. Yeah. So he takes off the right or the left and he has the pre-fade in the left ear yeah. and he, he gets the start of the single and pulls it back yeah. plus an inch yeah, and then you lock it. Yeah, yeah. And then you open the fader and fire it. Well, that's exactly because I always wondered why Eno was wearing well, his. Well, watch him when he talks. He'll do that. He does. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, he does. So that's it. It's the old habit from the days he of He does exactly do that, you yeah. guys. Yeah. I mean, I was... Um, I, I was... Uh, I started on radio in RTE in... Um, 79. Mm. So we had what they laughingly called a comp op studio, which was two um, record players, gramophones, they like to call them, Mm. because that's what the BBC called them. Yeah. And there were massive big things called EMTs. They were fantastic with beautiful, heavy arm on them and a sure cartridge. Really top quality stuff. You could stand on them, you know. Mm. Um, But if the brake went on them, they'd slip. You know, so mm. you had to be good at holding them on the, on the slip mat, you know, holding the single. But it was great. Uh, it was great discipline. And it's the way we did it in the Pirates. So when we went to uh, RTE then, um, it was kind of posh. Then, yeah, you know? yeah. Just um, following on from the, 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 the thing in the ears there, um, uh, I think you were quoted as saying, I don't know, it's, it's not your quote really, because other people have said it before, but DJs don't die, they just fade away. Um, yeah. Explain that concept well I think um, DJs um, you know I, I I kind of denied the DJ thing for a long time yeah, yeah as I, in I, you said is it broadcaster or presenter I think I was a presenter right you know because Ian always calls himself a DJ when he's right mm. because ultimately that's what we are I think mm. I think Gay Byrne 
and was sorry he wasn't a DJ more than he yeah. was a radio personality because he, he loved uh, disc and patter, as they used to call <laughs> it. He absolutely loved it. I remember he did a programme called the Prescott's New Releases Show. Yeah. And in 15 minutes, they would play seven new releases. Yeah. And Gay used to jock the programme. Yeah. Um, and he loved it. And, and I think ultimately... You know, um, when it all got very serious, uh, I remember somebody calling Matt Cooper a DJ once. Yeah. And maybe he's not. I'm sure, I'm sure Matt's very serious and everything. But um, I, I'm a DJ now. Um, yeah. A 70-year-old DJ. And um, they do, we don't fade away. Um, we were told to go away eventually. Yeah, this is, but this uh-huh. is an interesting thing. So I remember Ian said, um, I think to me years ago, we were having a few pints and, uh, you know, I was sort of, I don't know how it got into this thing about what would you do after this? And I think he sort of, he sort of intimated to me, he'd go here, uh, X place, that Y place, Z place and the other place until he just, there's <laughs> nowhere else to go until basically he's good doing it from his bedroom. But there was no sense that when he, let's say, gave up Today FM that he was going to give up. Now, I don't know if that, that still pertains. Oh, I think, so. I, I think, I think that's absolutely true that mm. you, you, you don't give up. Like when I was, when I announced RT last um June that I was finishing on the lunchtime program, that I was finishing five day a week broadcasting after 43 and a half years, 43 and a half very quick years, I might add. Mm. Um, there was never a sense from me that I was stopping. Mm. I was always going to do something. And I, I, I gave RTE the options. I said, you know, I can go um, at the end of the year and I can go elsewhere. Or I can stay with you and and do things, and they said, um, "Well, we'll talk about it." And um, then word got out that I was that I was finishing, and uh, only two other people asked um, outside of RTE, and both of them knew the answer already because I wouldn't have done what they were doing. I wouldn't have wanted to do mm. it, which was working in um, what I called limited format. Mm. Um, music radio but like music radio has been killed for years but it's on the way back mm. through through things like uh, classic hits FM and, and RTE Gold I think which is a much broader mm. gold stroke oldie station than, than anybody else is mm. offering you know and when you say music radio has been killed do you mean it's been so tightly formatted no everybody talks it's full of comedians or people who think they're comedians and telling you how funny they are with sidekicks who are supposed to be making them laugh and everything. Mm. Um, it's also an age thing, you know. I don't think it's funny. Mm. I don't think it's a radio, mm. and it certainly isn't music radio, mm. just because they stick in a, a song by Lizzo or Cardi B or Ask Me Arse or whoever it is, mm. you know. <laughs> um, and, and that sounds dismissive of mm. a lot of music. There's a lot of great music mm. around as well, but there's an awful lot of junk mm. played on... Uh, Music stations. It's interesting because actually um, just a few days ago I, was, I, I did a, uh, an interview with Stuart Clark from Hot Press and it was interesting to hear his take on, on music. Mm. And um, But sure, he's as old as I am. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But Stuart uh, was very, very p- positive about music. Oh, I'm, I'm positive yeah. about, about music. I absolutely am and I've always been positive yeah. about music. I'm not positive about what we're given in radio. Yes. Uh, as music radio, you know, yeah. like, uh, 
I, I, I just don't get a lot of it. Be it. You know, look how funny I am. And last night I slipped on a bar of soap. Yeah. Now, not hilarious. Yeah. Altogether. Yeah. No, it wasn't hilarious. I hope you're all right. But, you yeah. know, it wasn't hilarious. It's trying to make funny things out of nothing. You know, there are funny, there are very funny things on the radio. You're funny on the radio. You've always been funny on the radio with the characters that you've uh, uh, adapted and um, some of which you've, you've created because a, a lot of, Understanding it, a lot of what you do is exaggerations of yeah. people, you know, and that's clever and that takes talent and it takes. I mean, I, I could, you know, I'm a mimic. I could do people, but I don't have a funny script for it, mm, mm. you know. And there are others who think that it's enough. It's enough just to have a subject and let's make it funny, mm. and it isn't funny. Or it's enough to do a voice. Mm. Like, I can do my milkman, mm, mm. but he, he's not funny, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and and nobody knows what my milkman sounds like except me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this brings to, this brings me to another area which, are, which is kind of coming back to me now with you. And it pretty much circles around every time I meet you. And that is that, um, is, is the, have you always been like this, a kind of a take no bullshit merchant? How long have you been like that, or uh, have you always like that? No, I, I, I think I've been a cranky old horse some of the time. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it's whether it's wanting to do it my own way or mm. um, believing that my way, which is very ordinary, is kind of the right way. Or I, I've never looked on myself as being um, cutting edge uh, broadcaster or uh, hugely innovative. I think my biggest talent on air was um, being myself and having a lot of mileage behind me doing different things in public. Mm. And I think out of that, um, I, I, I've kind of ploughed my own furrow and said, well, this is, this is what I do, you know. Mm. I, I'm 43 and a half years on daily radio. And I think after... after Certainly after 10 years, I kind of found this, this is what I do and uh, I don't want somebody telling me how to do it. Yeah, because you mm. always have had a healthy, I suppose, scepticism, I think, for what um, Gable might have called, you know. Uh, um, You're them, turning into him now. Them upstairs. Mm. That's what I'm saying to you, Ronan. Yeah. Them upstairs who they, they, they have you by the short and curlies, don't you know? And they know it. They yeah. know it. But your job is to make them think they don't know it. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I mean, Gay and I used to agree on that. Gay and I and others used to agree that uh, th- those upstairs didn't really know a lot. But, you know, it's, it's all very well. You can be very good, a very good administrator. You can be a very good organiser. Mm. But it doesn't mean you know what, um, what listeners want or how best for... Um, a broadcaster, be they a DJ or a broadcast journalist, whatever, how they don't necessarily know how best to get the best mm. out of those people, you know? No. The, during COVID, right, um, you became sort of, I think your role in Irish life was more highlighted than ever before. Yeah. Because, and, 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 and I would just speak for myself even in that situation. The guys came out, the engineers came out from Today FM. They put a studio in my in my house. 
I was able to broadcast from my house, but then I became housebound and I did what everybody else did. I developed the little routines we did, the little the little two kilometres and the five kilometre walks and everything. And I was, you know, at the beginning, the usual story, I felt quite ha- happy and everything. And then I began to feel cooped up and everything. But it's at this time, then I would finish work at around sort of 12 to try and go downstairs and have something to eat. And then you'd be on, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that you became... Like that for a lot of people. Now, now, well, and then you had this lunchtime loosener upper. Uh, <laughs> that was an accident. <laughs> no, it was a lunchtime. My wife hated it. I would go, oh, come on. It's about 12.40 now. He's going to do the lunchtime yeah. lunch loosener upper. She goes, the fucking lunchtime loosener upper. All I upper. wanted to do was play um, reggae and ska records and backbeat records. That's all I wanted to play. But I had to broaden it. It was Radio 1, you know. Yeah. But I would have played I would have played The Selector all day and Madness all day. Yeah. All those frenetic jumpy up and down oh, yeah. things. This this what you did was peculiar. I mean let's face it, it's it's RTE I'm 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 not trying to have a go at mm-hmm. it at all now. I'm just seeing it exactly for what it is. But RTE Radio One is is set up as a kind of an unusual beast, really. Mm. You have like this two-hour Leviathan in the morning, um, Morning Ireland, attracting 450-odd thousand listeners. And people generally go to it or used to go to it or sometimes go to it more often than others, you know, in, in, in times of need when they want to know what's going on. So yeah. in other words, when things are bad, people fly to Morning Ireland, you know. Brendan Balf used to say, years ago, he used to say... Um, Look, it's all very well doing this, that and the other. But the, th- the the actual fact of the matter is that when people want to know if the bus strike is over, they listen to Radio 1. Correct. Because that's the paper of record. Yeah. Uh, and then Tuberty comes on for 42 minutes uh, or 36 minutes or whatever it is, diminishing every time. And then he's sandwiched nicely in between Claire Byrne or Pat Kenny or Sean O'Rourke or whoever mm. it is. And they do two hours of current affairs. And then after you is good afternoon to you, Ronan. Me, me husband's wife, heads, heads fell off. Halal butchers all over the place, Joe. Uh, that's fine. And then there's more. How are you, Ray Darcy and all this sort of stuff? Your house fell and went on fire as well. Okay. And then in between all this, is this one hour of music. Completely bizarre. I think there's more people um, there's more people have wanted me off that slot than have wanted me on it. Mm. But the ones who agreed to leave it there were the ones with the authority. Well, it was a fucking break, Ronan. From well, this well, madden, from, yeah. from like, the, it's, it's oppressive. It's oppressive listening mm. to people's opinions all the time. Well, you what see, do you think about the bus strike, John? John, no, sorry, I didn't interrupt you. Please don't cut across me. Mm. Okay, well, now it's a pro bus strike, anti bus strike. And then, then the news the bus strike is on again. And news, and then opinions, and then people calling in about the bus strike. Yeah. Jesus Christ, just give us. They do the huck a buck. They well, do the huck a buck. Sometimes it was uncomfortable yeah. being, being the sore thumb. Yeah, that stuck That's out. what I'm asking you, really. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it, it was a little uncomfortable, but once I went into the studio and closed the door, that was my room. Yeah, and um, I mentioned to you about you know that I wasn't going to work on a station that was going to tell me what to play. In all my years in RTE, it was suggested I might play this, that, and the other, but I decided what was played all along, right through my career. And that was a great gift because it gave me the gift of them. Whether they liked it or not, they were giving me the gift of authority. Yes. To decide what's on the program. And people knew it was you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was me in conjunction with the listeners yeah. asking for things. And I think experience gained through the years of knowing what people yeah. would actually like. Because people would ask for things. I'd say, doesn't doesn't really fit, but you get an idea of where they're going so you play something else for them yeah you know 
by and large, you play what they ask for. Mm. But but it, the whole thing was, was an adventure. Mm. And uh, I'm sorry I didn't look on it as an adventure when I was doing it and bef- before I did it, yeah. as I do now. Because, I mean, I, I've done so much navel-gazing and, and a lot of people have done a lot of looking back over the last three months since I stopped doing mm. it. And I'm asked the question, do I miss it? I don't because I'm still going into RTE and recording um, um, DJ mm. uh, on RTE Gold. Yeah. And uh, it's, that's a joy. It's just the best fun. Yeah. yeah. I sometimes imagine I might be Larry Gogan. You know? Well, just uh, he's the name written down in front yeah. of me. I mean, a couple of times I heard you becoming very emotional on the radio. And, you know, you can tell anybody with any decent sense can tell the difference between fabricated emotion and real emotion. And it's very rare now that you'd hear somebody getting as, oh, I suppose, like almost awkwardly emotional, which is nice. Um, that's yeah. you did about Larry. And I'm so pleased that um, that I travelled along the same direction as Larry, uh, never on his path and sometimes lucky enough to be on a parallel path. And uh, he was my friend first and foremost. I mean, we were friends. Um, outside of RTE. Every and day you would clock in with, with together, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'd find him or he'd find me and we'd, mightn't say an awful lot, but we saw each other, in, particularly in, in Larry's later years. When Flory died, his wife, she was a tremendous part of his life, apart from being his wife and the mother to his children. She was um, a huge part of his uh, thought and his psyche all the time. She She guided him, you know, Lorcan, don't be doing that. Um, Lorcan, you shouldn't do that kind of thing, you know. And he listened to her, and she was so right about things. Because Larry would do anything for anybody, mm. you know. And he was she, a very kind man. Oh, unbelievably mm. a kind and in so many ways, in so many ways. And I knew him before I was an RTE when I was a musician, and uh, and I enjoyed his company. And I like to think he enjoyed my company and and my then girlfriend, now my wife of nearly forty five years, and. Um, she got on so well with him and he was he was a very special individual. And then in terms of RTE, um, like Larry Gogan in 1962 was not an awful lot different from Larry Gogan in 2012. Mm. You know, he was um, a, a broadcaster who could um, say anything that needed to be said in the realm in which he was working in less than 30 seconds. And uh, he had an inbuilt clock to do that, but he also had he also had an innate ability to be hugely warm and friendly with people he liked, and he also had an inbuilt bullshit deflector, detector or deflector, deflector, deflector. Mm. He could deflect bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Very easy. Yeah. You know, a little like, a little like, you know, Brendan O'Carroll's one of the, well, that's nice. Oh, yeah. You know. Right. That Larry would have a remark. That oh, w- I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I remember him saying things like that. Yeah. yeah. And and somebody would go and say, that's yeah, grand. Yeah, yeah. Realising that, that in actual fact, Larry didn't agree with you and um, he didn't want it. Yeah, I know what you say. It's that tone when somebody goes, yeah, 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 yeah. that's lovely. Yeah. yeah. That's lovely. And I think I think that's that's a sign of the man he was. Mm. He was a he was a warm, affectionate, lovely man, mm. hugely knowledgeable about pop music and never afraid to to uh, acknowledge where he got his style from, which was Alan Freeman on 
BBC Radio even long, long before your time. Mm. Uh, Alan Freeman was the DJ, Fluff he was called. Mm. And he was a great friend of Larry's. Larry would have met him many times and they were great friends and Larry uh, took on his DJ sensibilities. Yeah. You know? What about Tony Fenton? Yeah. Were you friendly with Tony at all? I wasn't hugely friendly mm. with him but you couldn't not be aware of, <laughs> of the, the, the Fenton. The Fenton. <laughs> the Fenton. Amazing. You know, I remember yeah. making a remark one night. Funny, you mentioned Larry. There was a big awards thing in City West and I was the unlikely compare because I wasn't the DJ or anything. But the reason I was chosen was that they knew I could handle a live stage thing. If anything went wrong, whatever the problem, that I, I could do that. And that's why I was I was employed to do it. And uh, I remember um, they were doing a, a tribute to somebody. And in the video, the remark was made that it was actually the first record that Tony Fenton bought. <laughs> and the rest of the thing was said. And I came on afterwards and I said, that's. That statement is so wrong. Tony Fenton never bought a record in his life because <laughs> he didn't. He was the DJ who got the records he did. from everybody. And uh, he was great. He was, um, there wasn't a lot of uh, DJ types that were allowed be DJs mm, in, yeah. in RT and 2FM. Yeah. Now, you know, Ian is the obvious example. Yeah. Um, Tony Fenton, yeah. Barry Lang, yeah. was another terrific guy. I was he with was. Barry the week before last yeah. in, in Dubai. Ah, he, yeah. He's a pilot. I know he Emirates, has, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, we, because we were talking about nothing but radio, yeah. and uh, they they were the DJ guys. And then there was a lots of guys who thought they were DJs. Mm-hmm. Lots of them. Mm. Most of them producers. What's the difference between just to, what's the difference between a, a guy who's a DJ and a guy who thinks he's a DJ? Um, <laughs> timing. Yeah. <laughs> um. I I just Is it a personality thing or a voice thing or is it just Most ones who think they're good DJs are producers Yeah Do you get where I'm coming from? Oh I know several (laughs) I see we're trying not to mention any names here at all today and I'm doing you a favour by not mentioning any names Well certainly in my years and I came across dozens of them Mm. if not scores of them uh, radio producers who were all on their way to being something else Yeah but they had no idea what it was. Well, that's interesting that you raised that. That's interesting that you raised that because this is something we've talked about over the years and people who are listening may be interested in broadcasting or stuff. This is an interesting point. A lot of producers nowadays see producing as a stepping stone to being a star. and doesn't even being a star on the radio. They could be a radio producer they actually want to be a star on Instagram. It's a funny old game. Well, again... But, but, but really, the, the art of radio or television production is amazing and should be... A, a, a pursuit in its own right. Absolutely. I mean, I knew some of the best radio producers ever uh, in radio anywhere in Ireland. And they include, they were all North because that's where I was. Yes, Bill O'Donovan. Bill O'Donovan. Them. Uh, a guy called Tim Lahan, mm-hmm. who used always looked like he should have been in a show band. But Tim had an innate sense of what worked and how to put things together and how to guide a presenter. Mm. And assist them. You see, this was a different era, wasn't it? When a producer really had much, much more clout um, than they do in many respects now. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's all, a lot of it is about pandering to the ego of the presenter or presenters. And the producers are often treated as merely lackeys or, or assistants or, to use the, the other term, broadcasting assistants. Mm. 
Um, but actually, they're supposed to be producers and producers are meant to have the intellectual heft, the power the, to shape stuff. Yeah. And this guy, Bill O'Donovan, who you talk about, of course, he, he, you know, I don't know if you could even conjure in your mind a couple of stories about him, but he was a kind of a, a legendary sort of figure. Well, he was that. he was um, he was my my mentor. Mm. He was Larry Gogan's guiding light in the 60s. Mm. Um, he was the one who, who battled for Larry through many years mm. because, you know, Larry Larry and what he did was looked on, was looked down on mm. in, in RT because we, we had lots of, you know, uh, intellectuals and historians and uh, Gaelgors mm. um, who all, all had a part to play mm. in RTE. Indeed, were part of the fabric of the place. Mm. But they were more than slightly intolerant of popular music yeah. and the way it w- the way it was presented to people. So uh, Bill Bill was extraordinary. He was a record producer, a music producer as well, uh, who worked with a lot of acts down through the years and he became an administrator because that's the only way you move forward in RTE uh, for for people and you know good producers don't necessarily make good administrators but he did. Mm. And he was head of 2FM uh, eventually and should have been years before that. But um, he, he was just an extraordinary guy and he knew how to handle the talent mm. as it later became known as. Mm. And he, he was very, very good at it. You know, I, I'm, I worked with him when I did early morning radio, 1980 to 85. I found myself saying things on the air, some witty expression or something. And it would... Be only afterwards I realised that Bill had actually said that to me a week ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So he plants things in there, yeah. and uh, he was great. Tamir, and you, you had this—you had this time as when I was growing up as well of um, being you never pre- grew up. presenter of the, the the lottery. Yeah, and that was part of people's Wednesdays and Saturdays mm-hmm. as well, and part of mine exactly as well. Uh, and you earned good money for that, didn't you? Yeah. Mm. Why wouldn't I? I gave up my weekends. I yeah. could never have a weekend away. Yeah, but I remember in the business, yeah. people used to say, that's a really well-paid gig. But um, yeah. I, we had... At one a, stage, yeah. they were paying me more than RTU. Go away. Just mm. for that gig. Well, just for that gig, you know. My Wednesday was gone and yeah. my my Saturday was yeah. gone and my my children's sanity was gone. One, right. one daughter in particular hated the fact that people approached me in the street. Oh, yeah. She just was uncomfortable with it right from an early age. Why why, why can't people leave my dad alone? Yeah. You know? And uh, the other the other daughter, the elder of the two, Jessica, used to think it was great. Great crack all together. And presumably yeah. the repetition of presumably the same old gag the whole time yeah, and I didn't, would, would get tiresome. Yeah, I didn't mind it so yeah. much, really, because it was, uh, particularly in Dublin, it's people's way of recognising you, accepting you and saying hello. That's right. That's that's basically all it is. That's right, you yeah. Know? yeah. But uh, what, what, what astounds me, Mario, is that I gave up doing the lotto draws in 2006. Yeah. And I've appeared on television half a dozen times since. Mm. And people still stop me in the street. Yeah. And I find that amazing. How do you recognise somebody from the radio? Yeah. And if I can just say to you, the, be- the nicest compliment I ever had, because I've been a radio man all my working life. I was in a shop one day and I was standing waiting to be served and there was a man beside me with a guide dog and a white stick. This sounds like a joke, but it's not. I got my turn at the counter and I just said, can I get a packet of polo mints, please? And the guy beside me said, that's Ronan Collins. Yeah. 
And that was the greatest That's compliment lovely. I ever got yeah, in my life. Yeah. Because that was total recognition. And his ears were super know. tuned. Absolutely. And I, I just, and I love recalling that. It brings a smile. Yeah, to it's lovely. Yeah. yeah, it's a really nice story. Yeah. Um, but on the lottery thing, um, do you remember the prank you played with us? Uh, with Dempsey? No. Oh my God, I don't believe you don't remember this. No. Because it was, it was, it was, it was brilliant. So again, for the listeners, do you remember this, Ed? No. no. So this was April Fool's Day, about 2005, 2006, on the Dempsey show. Fucking brilliant, right? <laughs> and um, so we're there, right? April 1st, we had this planned. We were just going, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Ian, it's about 7.40 and Ian used to do the headlines. And it was the same time every morning, so he'd be doing the papers. And he was there like, um, wow, this story is just Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Last night's lotto draw. And uh, I know people are going mad about this, but anyway, the page 15 here. Because Ronan Collins' numbers came up in the lotto draw and Ronan won the lotto. And we have Ronan on the line now. And it was himself. And he says, Ronan, how are you? Well, Ian, I'm just as shocked as you are, to be honest with you. <laughs> but did you, how did you feel? Right? Well, Ian, what do you mean? How I, how did I feel? Um, I felt pretty, as I feel now, quite numb. I said, so the numbers were 36, 22, 49, la, 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 la. And you got six of them, Ronan. So how much is it? It's 763,000, Ian. Jeepers, this is amazing. Ronan, I mean, you've been a friend of mine for a long time. Fair play to you, and I, I don't think anybody would begrudge you. Well, Ian, that's really nice of you to say, but I just, I'm still shell-shocked, as I say, and hopefully I'll be able to go on doing the job. Um... Well, anyway, good luck. Anyway, the fucking place went ballistic. The text messages. Because it was just pre-social media. So, basically, the, so the place went, the fucking RTE. RTE, Jesus. RTE, an insider job. Oh, God. Yeah. I've never seen a reaction like it. It was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But sure, the but amount totally of... totally deadpan pulled it off. Yeah, well, the amount that I won on, on, on that particular occasion, <laughs> it was only a month's money for doing the lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, over the, over the course of your career then, was there any job on radio or television that either you coveted or fancy to bash at or would have at least liked to have tried to see how it worked out? No, not really. Um, I, I, I may have had over the years, but I, I kind of don't do, um, I don't do regrets. Um, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't considered for lots of things because I was the guy who did what I did. Pigeonholed, yeah. Yeah, and, and that was fine to be, even though I said to you, sometimes it seems like I was the, sore thumb that stuck yeah, out yeah. at the same time I was the only one doing it daily radio 7 to 7 I was the only music programme on Radio 1 and um, and I, I coveted that and I I, I protected it mm. very much very very much you know mm-hmm. I mean there were lots of times when um, when word would come to me that such and such is thinking of moving you taking you off that Mm. And most of the time I had the confidence to be able to say, well, let's see how far they get with that. Mm. But um, there was always the niggling thing that um, they would take me off it for one reason or other, which brings me right up to date because that's what happened to me after COVID, during COVID, and then shortly after it. Um, 
I had been going into the radio building day in, day out, uh, and doing my job and getting huge reaction to it, overwhelming yeah. reaction to being on. It became quite overwhelming yeah. some days. I mean, I'd gone from getting a couple of hundred emails during the course of the program to getting a couple of thousand. And texts had gone out of control. It was it was whirring along, you know. It was just a line. It. Was I know what you mean. And uh, it became quite overwhelming. Yeah. And I, I was going into this building and there was nobody, virtually nobody else there. And I aligned that to the fact that I was going in during a pandemic and my friend wasn't there. Larry Gogan wasn't there. Because he was the heart, the heart of that building for so long. He really was. Not, not just for me, but for lots of other people. And then I knew I was going to be 70 last October. So... I started to think again about what am I going to do with myself in the future? What do I want out of the future, out of the next five or ten years if I'm given it? And the thing that kept cropping up all the time is I don't want somebody coming in and telling me you're finished. So I'm going to finish it. Mm. And that was the driving force. It was no longer about money. Certainly wasn't about an ego. I, my, my ego, if I ever had one, was massaged and satisfied a long time ago. Mm. Um, it was just about what is the one thing I have left in my life that I could cherish, and that would be time to do other things with the people I I love. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I decided to stop the five day a week uh, thing. Mm. And. As you know, in this business, there's very few on-air people get the opportunity to go to management and say, this is what I've decided. Mm, exactly, yeah. You know? Yeah. Most, like like pol- politics, most careers end in failure, if you like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, it, it was great. Uh, it was a great feeling. And then, of course, you start wondering to yourself, yeah, I've given them six months' notice. Um, when am I going to announce it? And they... they they kept on at me wanting to announce it every month. Mm. You know, August, September, October. And I said, no, I'm not doing a long goodbye. No, okay. And then I told them on Thursday, the 2nd of December, I said, by the way, I'm announcing it tomorrow. And Ryan Tuberty is not doing a long goodbye. No. Either. Interesting. What do you think of his decision? Because I have my own opinions. Yeah, well, I think he still has um, pretty naked ambition to do other things. I think he wants, he loves history, he loves the American political system. Well, he, he loves talking about it and is interested in it. He enjoys politics in Ireland. He comes from a very political family. I think he wants to be, I think I think he, um, less of a hero of his would be Terry Wogan and more of a hero would be John Bowman, uh, who you know, is hugely knowledgeable. And John Bowman did a huge amount of things down through the years, mm. you know. I remember John Bowman. When I was a kid, I remember John Bowman as a tennis commentator. Go away. Yeah, ten, tennis commentator from the Irish Open in Fitzwilliam because huh. I played tennis as a kid. Mm. And I remember John Bowman then and I remember him on lighter things as they would have called it. And I think I think that in in his heart, I don't, I don't know Ryan well, mm. um, but I think uh, he's 50 mm. And I think he's very ambitious mm. still to do other things. And that's very healthy. Yeah. Um, I do you mean ambitious to do history programs? Ambitious to do other things. Yeah, like what? Like 
history, current affairs, mm. uh, really maybe radio documentaries. I think current so. Affairs. Yeah, because that would. I mean, because he's a, he, he's not a song and dance man. He's you know on his own admission. You know, he's not he's not a song and dance. He's a chatterbox though. Yeah, he's a chatterbox, yeah, and you know, you ask Ed what you have to do with chatterboxes, you gotta edit them down mm. all the time, you know. Mm. Uh, he, he's a chatterbox, but I think he's a good listener too. Mm. Um but that's that's kind of my impression. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm a broadcaster, I don't do impressions. I think personally he wants to be president of Ireland, Rona. Well but, uh, anyway. Well if that's fine too, if that's what you want. You know? That that's grand. A lofty ambition. And then he can tell poetry. He could go in and say, a cone, a cone, an ice cream cone. That is a wonderful impression of Michael <laughs> D. Higgins, I must say. That was an impression of Mario Rosenstock doing an impression. <laughs> that was an impression of Barry Rosenstock. <laughs> right. And, um, well, I think he wants to become president of Ireland. Well, the best. Because I remember him to... actually saying years ago, um, I remember him saying years ago to me, actually, we were out having a few pints and he went, you know, I, I don't think they're listeners, they're voters. What? Yeah. Voters. Strange. I thought yeah. they're listeners. I, was just, I, I, I don't know him usually, but he's, he's very affable and friendly. He is, yeah. He does the old gay burn thing, though. He doesn't stop when, when he meets you. Yeah. He doesn't stop. He keeps walking. Gotta keep going, Sonny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello there, son. Good boy. Good boy. Do you Aren't know you what, great? though? I think he's right, for the, right about that. Because when you are presenter of The Late Late Show, you are de facto the most famous person in Ireland. And other, if you stopped for everybody, you wouldn't get anywhere. So I think you do have to keep moving. So I do, I do understand yeah, that. I could do. Be. I, I do understand that. The kids will ask him for his autograph. Yeah. The kids will ask me for an autograph for their mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come here, tell us about this. Um, didn't you have a little spat with Louis Walsh? Did you make it up with Louis Walsh? years ago. Yeah. But it was good, though. Yeah. Did- uh, Louis, Louis um, did we make it up? Um, I don't think my wife has ever let me make it up. She never forgave him for that. Because really? we knew... Explain to our listeners the context. Well, we knew, we knew Louis well. I've, I've known Louis for years um, since he worked in Tommy Hayden's office. Tommy was a, um, a right. manager, show band impresario, and, and Louis worked in the office and he managed uh, Chips and looked after Johnny Logan and, and other acts and ran gigs around the country. So I'd known Louis for years and... Um, Six uh, were formed, the, the group Six. Yeah. And they brought out a, a record, a song called There's a Whole Lot of Loving Going On, yeah. which turned out to be one of the biggest selling Irish singles of all time. Did. And I said, it'll never do anybody any good except Louis Walsh. And I said, Six won't last. And I said, I felt it was a terrible launching pad for a group of hopefuls who were now taken into a group and told that they were a super group and they would be appearing in front of 25,000 people on a Westlife concert. And I said, that's not normal. If you form a group together, put them in the Bagot Inn or put them in a pub and let them enjoy nobody coming to the gig and see if they enjoy it there. Yeah. And it was a very old-fashioned kind of a thing. And, of course, Louis, Louis hears what Louis wants to hear, you know... That's stupid. Why don't you go back to playing your show band records and saving children in Africa? And that was the killing thing. That I'd, I'd done a couple of trips to Africa. Ethiopia. Yeah, Ethiopia and Malawi. I was in loads of places. And it, I, I understand you were pretty affected by those that trip to Ethiopia. You could not be. Yeah. You could not be. So I um, something he, about Leonardo DiCaprio t-shirts or something, was there? Yeah, yeah. Was they, that? Yeah, they That's had um, they had Nike t-shirts and Leonardo DiCaprio t-shirts and... They didn't know who Leonardo DiCaprio was and they didn't know what Nike was. Mm. But those things got into the 
the interior, as they might say, of, of a place like Ethiopia. And um, it made me realize that you know, the Americanization of the world was huge. And it was then I came out with an, with an expression. I said, uh, the Americans think they know everything about democracy. Like they'd want to come into Ethiopia and build an eight-lane highway 100, 100 miles long with a pizza hut at one end and a McDonald's at the other and say, this is democracy. Mm. To a people who have been led by their entire lives and for generations have been led by individuals. Now, whether they're despots or whether they're dictators or whatever they are, that's the system in Africa, the tribal system. And it's very difficult for us in the Western world to comprehend. The main thing is that people in Africa, when they have nothing, if you tell them to stand up and walk for two days, there is food over there. They will stand up and they will walk for two days just to get food, to just to get water. A simple thing like that. And it was absolutely scary to see. And I, I when I went there, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big bloke, but I was a bigger bloke then. You know, I was nearly 20 stone weight. Oh. So you had people who were involved in a famine and a guy who caused the famine, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. it makes you feel, it makes you feel, humility is a, is a, a dangerous thing sometimes, but you do feel very humble. And um, so when Louis said, I'll go and save the children in Africa, I remember I just said, oh, well, okay, that's, that's it, Joe. I have nothing else to say. You know, if that's what he dragged it down to. Now, he apologised afterwards, and he says, you know what I'm like. I fly off the handle and everything. But um, I would never have been a supporter of Louis after that and the X Factor and all those things. I was lucky enough to have been a musician and to have played to know people and played to lots of people. Yeah. And I actually loved your, um, the, the, the series you uh, narrated about the show bands. I thought that was a brilliantly produced series on TG Carr um, and uh, learned so much about the kind of evolution of Irish music just through the, the, the eras of the show bands. Mm. It's fascinating stuff. Um, did you enjoy doing that yourself? Yeah, I did enjoy doing it because I was talking about people I knew. I know. I knew so many of them down through the years and that was a, a labour of love. I mean, when I, when I was, in 1970, I was 18 years old. The Chauvin thing was finished. Yeah. And I had had a huge interest in it right through the 1960s as a kid going to Peter's Hall in Fibsburg where my dad was on the door. They were running it for the, mm. the Vincentian Foreign Missions. And I just wanted to see the band and talk to the musicians. And I remember meeting a band called the Vampires, a four-piece band. And their front man was a fellow called Tony Kenny, oh, yeah. who has been my lifelong friend. The Tony Kenny Every, of yeah. the yeah, Jesus yeah, Christ superstar yeah. and all that. Has been my lifelong friend. And yeah. Tony celebrates a big birthday now in two weeks' time. Yeah, He's not pleased at Is all. it roundy? Very roundy. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's it's a fat lady and a roundy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, so um, he's going to be eighty. Yeah. And and Tony Tony became my friend when I was sixteen, fifteen, sixteen years old, and I thought he was nineteen or twenty. He wasn't. He's ten years older than me, and um, and he he was the kind of guy I loved. He was in a band. He worked hard. He loved the music and everything. And that's that's where I got so much of what I love about music from people and I it was important to me that um, I, lo- I liked the people and I liked so many of them mm. I, and that's why I hated when people dissed the show bands because no more than myself they'd never, they weren't there in its heyday but they knew nothing about it 
And and I include Bob Geldof and Bono, and I've said it to them both. You know, mm. I said, don't knock something you know nothing about. And uh, um, neither of them reacted to, to, to what I said, mm. you know. But um, these were people, these were musicians. The show band thing was an Irish thing of Ireland, of Irish people. And it was a phenomenal time, a phenomenal social movement um, that brought Ireland dragging from the uh, beginning of the 19th century to the end of the 19th century, but it happened in the 20th century. You yeah, know? yeah. It was, it was part of Ireland opening up. No, it was a beautiful, beautiful um, series. Do you know, I mean, we're, did you know guys in the Miami yeah. show band? Because mm. this is something that, this, this shows you how much Ireland has changed in the last 25 years. I mean, we've now moved into a generation who don't understand the don't remember don't recall violence anymore mm. and you knew a bunch of guys who were in the most successful pretty much show band of the time mm. and uh, I mean this horrific um, uh, uh, attack happened this Miami show band mm. uh, wasn't Dickie Rock in, involved? No no it was Dickie, Dickie had been in the Miami yeah, had uh, been from in 1962 band. until about 1968 when there was a, a Mark II Miami show band, if you like. Yeah. And that include that Mark II band included um, Fran O'Toole yes. and, and uh, Brian McCoy. Yeah. And later, uh, then Dickie left that band, but the Miami continued on, and Tony Garrett, he was in it. Tony came from a well-known um, uh, family of musicians, either Crumlin or Ballyfermot. His brother is the famous Carl Garrity, the sax player, mm. who's played with Mary Black on all those... Mm beautiful records through the years and uh, you know I knew Tony uh, I'd met Fran um, and I'd met Brian McCoy who the irony of it was as they used to say then was a Protestant from the north yes Fran was from Bray in County Wicklow but just explain because you literally have what happened on this thing in this the Miami yes what happened they were coming home from a gig from the north yeah yeah they were stopped still on the northern side of the border yeah and they were stopped by guys who produced guns and while they were being held up at the hedgerow at the side of the road, another guy or two opened up the back of their Volkswagen van and put in what looked like a box of some kind, yeah. which turned out to be a bomb, which exploded prematurely. And the guys who were holding the Miami guys at the hedgerow started to shoot. And they shot Fran dead and Brian and Tony, who'd already been affected by the explosion. And uh, Des Lee fell into the ditch and managed to get himself up and scarper across the field and survive. And Stephen Travers, the bass player, was left on the ground. His body was absolutely mangled. How he lived, nobody will ever know. And... um, that was a band, fellas coming from home from the north, going home to their wives and family. And because they were uh, from the free state, and you can bring this bomb down to Dundalk and it'll explode there, but it did, that didn't happen. So it was, it was a tragedy, an absolute tragedy. It was more of a tragedy that they were musicians, troubadours, fellas who went up, who united people, who played in dance halls, no matter whether they were Protestant, Catholic, Unionist, Republican, it didn't matter didn't matter to anybody. And Ronan, would they have been playing in halls where there would have been mixtures of people? Oh, absolutely. Really? Oh, yeah. 
So bringing people together literally. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you weren't asked your religion when you went in the door of a dance hall. You know, and it didn't make any difference what religion you were, and it had a terrible effect on everybody. It killed, it killed live music, <coughs> um, up around the border area, and the north of Ireland. Just, just killed it completely. The bands wouldn't travel. Um, and a lot of bands did very well in the north and mightn't have been making a huge living in the south. Careers were gone. But more than that, it was... Um, you you don't go there anywhere in the world. The musician is sacrosanct. You know, they're, they're not political. They probably are much more political now. They, they say things much more. But certainly working musicians um, must always be treated with the respect that working musicians deserve. And that's not politics. And it's not war. Hmm. And uh, it was just, it's one of those terrible blights on the country. And um, I was proud to have known the lads. I didn't, I was younger than they were. But um, it just had a huge effect on people. And it's still remembered. And I remembered it every day since on radio, since 1979, my very first July 31st on radio in 1979. And I mentioned the Miami show band massacre that had happened only four years before that. Mm. Only four yeah. years. And I mentioned it on or as close to the anniversary every year right up to last year. Yeah, I would hear you. Yeah, yeah. I would hear you. Yeah. You're one of the only reasons I would even have known about it because mm. you kept saying it every year and then I'd go, yeah, yeah, what this... And it was the only time I ever, <clears throat> I ever, um, I didn't couch my language. I said they were murdered. I never changed. I didn't say they were killed or they they, they were in a, a tragic incident. I said they were murdered because they were just murdered. Senseless. Senseless. And, and, and the people on the other side, I mean, Miami weren't on any side. Mm. But the, the perpetrators of, of the crime, they were killed as well. A couple of them got away. And a couple of them were killed. Mm. So what was the point of it all? You know, mm, mm, mm. nobody won that. No, nobody. Yeah, you know? it's 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 shocking even <clears throat> to recall that that something like that could have happened, and even yeah. more shocking in the context of nowadays. Yeah, I think that's probably the most serious thing that I've ever broached on the air, um, and I would be very strong in. Um, I believe that it, that should be remembered and it should always be highlighted every year, mm. at least once a year, it should be highlighted yeah. for the the folly yeah. of so much that went on. Yeah, and also, I suppose, to illustrate that when things get out of control, these kind of things end up happening where musicians who bring people together get, end up blown up and slaughtered. Yeah. Um, so let's not go there, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Or let's try and do whatever we can to obviate mm. that ever happening. You know, musicians are supposed to die in plane crashes and yeah. car crashes and that kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not, more exotic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great career move. Good career move, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, so listen, can you do this thing? I used to love <clears> it when you hand it over to uh, uh, Joe, du Joe Duffy. All right, yeah. So yeah. can you hand over to Joe Duffy now as if you were on the on the radio? Yeah, I used to try and figure out different ways of doing it, but um, you had to understand as well. Well, he's ready for you now if you hand over to him. Yep, Please don't keep him too long now, Ron. No, but I have to explain to you that you never knew which mood was coming in. Oh, really? You know? oh, yeah, because Joe's as human as anybody else and, and particularly, probably more human on the air than lots of people because he's, do he's dealing... 
he's dealing with the raw edges of things a lot of the time, you know. And uh, But more often than not, <clears throat> Joe would come in with the Evening Herald and he'd read the front of that. We're getting a lot of calls in about <laughs> the fact that there's young fellas riding bicycles over humps in Fairview Park. <laughs> Are you ready to hand over to him? OK. Let's uh, do it, though. 20 minutes to one o'clock now and time to hand over uh, to Joe and see what's happening on today's Live Line. Joe. Well, good afternoon to you, Ron, and absolutely delighted to be talking to you on this uh, day. Of course, the day of days, April, when Ronan, Ke- when Ronan Keaton, I nearly called him Ronan Keaton, Colin Keaton, of course, a good, great singer, of course, Ronan Keaton, but Ronan Collins, of course, uh, the presenter, is back just for five minutes, just presenting the Ronan Collins uh, lunch hour, which is lunch down loosen her upper, uh, just finished there. Ronan, good afternoon to you. Are you keeping well yourself? I'm very well, thank you, Joe. Good. It's the, you are actually the, you are actually the subject of today's live line because we've got Louis Walsh on the line. Good afternoon to you, Louis. Joe, how are you, Louis? What what do you want to say to Ronan? Ronan, I think we need to bury the hatchet. It happened nearly twenty years ago. You've been back to Ethiopia fifty times, Ronan. Ronan, let's put it to bed. What do you say? <laughs> do you want the hatchet out of my back? Which one do you want? <laughs> what do you say, Ronan? Will we put it to bed? So hold hold the line, hold, hold the line, hold the hold, Louis, because Miriam O'Callaghan's on the line. Miriam wants to say hello. Miriam is Miriam wants to say hello. Joe, Mom, Ronan, hi. Hi, Miriam. You know, I'm really emotional listening to all this stuff genuinely. You know, you've really affected me. Um, you know, especially that stuff you said about Brian Tuberty and how he's going to go for pre- the presidency. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you said that, Ronan. I mean, I thought you and I had talked it over. Hadn't we? No. But are you not going to be my campaign advisor? Absolutely not. You and Jim? You're too tall. (laughs) This is not going very well. Good afternoon to you. Matt Cooper's on the line. Matt Cooper. Say hello to... uh, Ronan, say hello to Matt Cooper. Hello, Matt. We've only ever met once before. I never met Matt Cooper once. And how dare you call me a fucking DJ? (laughs) I heard you. You called me a DJ. You're a little bollocks. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Good afternoon to you. Is there anybody else you want to talk to, Ronan? There's loads of them waiting on the line. You're a, you're a big celebrity. Gayburn. Well done, Sonny. How are you? Gabo here in heaven. What do you want to hear? I remember he gave me a bit of advice once. Um, an incident had happened and I was on the front page of the papers. And out of the blue, he walked in the door of Studio 6 and he came up and he said, how are you, son? And I said, I'm fine. <laughs> Thanks very much. And he said, don't worry, this too will pass. I remember it well. I remember it well. I remember it, Sonny. You opened the door. There you were with the big black tash. And I said, that too will pass. And there it is. The tash is gone. No more tash. Black tash Rooney out the window. You gave yours to Marty Whelan. You gave it to Marty. You handed it over to Marty. He took your tash off you. Well done, Sonny. Well, well done to you. And we will leave it there for now. Run on. Cologne. Mario, and I'll just leave you with one thought mm. that here we are in April 2023. Isn't it extraordinary how many people dyed their hair grey during the pandemic? <laughs> exactly. And now they're back to normal. Now they're back to normal. Fantastic. Ronan Collins, thank you very much for coming in to um, uh, Marconi House and, uh, and doing this podcast with me. Thanks very much. Thank you, Mario. Thank you. Thanks a million, Ronan. And my thanks to Ronan Collins for being my special guest on the Mario Rosenstock podcast this week. A happy Easter to you all. I hope you have a restful and lovely time. It looks like the weather uh, has taken a turn for the better um, uh, this Easter. 
Uh, if you want to contact me, it's mariorosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all and get back to most of them. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook as well. And um, see you same time, same place, back here next week. Bye-bye.